0: To this episode of the Comedy Defect Podcast, my name is Winter. I'm a comedian, and this is my show. Those of you that are the new to the show, welcome. Those who are the old to the show, welcome back, guys. This episode is one of my favourites, it's with a comedian I've been trying to get on the podcast for a very long time is with the brilliant Sean Mio he doesn't rate himself, he's humble, he talks about his writing process, how he gets down to it, how he gets on with it how he juxtaposes things together and I think you're really going to enjoy this one so I'm going to keep this intro really really short and it's just such a wonderful hour and a bit spent talking to him about comedy, what he thinks about it and, and how he does it and what he thinks comedy should be, it's one of those ones which I will listen to back again and again when I want to feel inspired and Sean's a really great guy and I, I spent Many's a, an hour with him on car journeys. I hope you enjoy it. You can follow this podcast. We're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and uh, we're also on YouTube as well. And I've just started to do some videos on TikTok for little sketches that me and a friend of mine are going to be releasing once a week. But you can find this podcast on all of the socials. And the tag is really easy to remember. It's at Winter Dominus. Winter, D-O-M-I-N-U. Us it's all there for you to enjoy or if you like the podcast a lot you can go to patreon go type in the comedy defect podcast and donate as much or as little as you feel this podcast is worth but if you don't donate that's okay just share your favorite episode or leave us a nice honest review it tells people where we are and what we're up to that's all i'm going to say for this intro i hope you enjoy this one if you do share it tell your friends about it it's a great one at about minute 20 there's a real nuggets of information that will really help you with your writing process enjoy this episode Episode eighty three with Sean Mio. Sean Mio, welcome to the Comedy Defect. Thank you for coming into my uh, bunker. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you Good. very much. Yeah. So you're a comic of how many? long have you been a comic for? This
1: is in effect my thirty. Let me get it straight. I did my first gig in nineteen eighty eight September and i am i think now in my 32nd or 33rd year of from scratch Mm. but i would say there are stages at which you know you can say you're doing comedy but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a comedian Mm. and then you you you, when you do it full-time i think that that's another stage and then you know four or five years in you can be working full-time but not be the full ticket and then you can gradually get better I've had my dips my Mm -hmm. ups my downs I'm Mm. sure everyone knows about that
0: Uh, like you think that uh, we think the sweet spot of when you start in comedy is like five years or (laughs) do you know what I
1: think it can vary Uh I've talked to lots of people about this A couple of times I've been in cars, the reason I'm doing this with you is because we sat in a car one day and we went to Plymouth and back, which is why I I remember telling you, this is like the true spirit of adventure of being a comic, I think that being on the road, the road miles count, Mm. And, and every now and then, you know, people with, even now, they'll say to me, why are you going to the gig we did in Plymouth, six hours in the car there, you know sit down do the gig in that that lovely little place in plymouth mm. we went to They yeah, feed you. i really like that sort of thing i only really find that and then we stay in that little bed and breakfast mm. that was like you know being in something yeah. the house from psycho mm. and then coming home the next day for what most people would say isn't the most profitable gig in the world and i just go because i think that's what being a comic's all about yeah, it's mm. like being an outlaw i think mm. it's the closest you can be to be the outlaw Josie wells if you choose mm. to to approach it that way And I think the road miles count in your act. I think every single mile that you go to gigs and come back focuses you on the job. And and I still now have a kind of agenda every day, every day. Even coming here, I'll go, do you know what? If you ask me what I wrote about today, Mm -hmm. I can tell you specifically. And I think it makes you a better comic to want to do the hard gigs. The hard rooms make you, the road miles make you. Attitude, you know, applying yourself over time breaks you down like in the army. You think? Yeah, I mean, I really I really enjoy being a comic, you know. Mm-hmm. Of all the jobs you can have, it has the greatest sort of uplifting effect on a lot of people mm. with the lowest amount of casualties. And I say that knowing that I'm not for everyone mm. and knowing that I've experimented with my attitude and the, the level to which I'm prepared to push mm. and that will cause in these days of wokedom and also social media a level of complaint that you never had before. In the old days, people I didn't write like that guy. Now it's yeah. online. I don't do. I don't read anything. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. I'm looking at batting averages, and I believe what Seinfeld says. Joe Seinfeld says, in the end, you know, you know, and the audience know. That's too hard. You're pushing too hard, or they're out of order. That one, one or two people are, are, are making their voices heard too loudly, mm-hmm. and people are reacting too much to that.
0: When I first met you, it was that we were at the Streatham. Uh, that jazz club is that the one where the compare
1: didn't show up?
0: That's right, and you had to. It's So funny for someone like me to be <laughs> totally. there, and
1: someone else doesn't show up. I remember, I remember kind of comparing for yeah. him, and then he showed up <laughs> at some point, and then I beckoned him on, and yeah. he was like, he was, he was, he was sort of shrugging his shoulders as if, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, you're supposed mm. to be on, yeah.
0: Dick, and it made me laugh. Like it made me laugh because, like, when I first met, I was like, I didn't, I wasn't sure if you were really angry. Or that was like... I think a a lot of people... I mean,
1: I'm a pretty intense person. So I've been told uh, by my hostages. But it's very difficult to look at yourself from their point of view. Mm -hmm. I'm very focused on what I want to do. Whether it's the right thing Mm -hmm. or maybe not the right thing. Mm -hmm. I've kind of um, zone in on it, you know. Mm -hmm. So if I'm exercising, I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm getting up to no good. Might not know what I'm doing entirely, but I know exactly what I want. You know, Mm-hmm-hmm. so uh, my whole life has been about trying to control that type of thing. Mm. So when I do it really well, it's really really good. When I do it wrong, it's pretty awful. First time I've ever seen your act,
0: I like and I'd like
1: and I wasn't. <laughs> I want really well. I was like, you're emceeing. I said, like,
0: is he angry because the emcee has? I've got a fucking open now and fucking emcee. Um, no, it was I think so-
1: a lot of it's misconstrued. No, yeah. Totally to me, was. what I'm trying to yeah. do is almost. I mean, Ben Norris right. says oh, I get it now. We, yeah. used to be re- we used to have a pretty frosty relationship, mm. you know. And I think for some people, it's just, man, you're just zero to 100 in about 4.5 seconds. Mm. To a lot of extent, it's mock anger. And I've had to kind of work out like a, a, a good way of letting the audience know not to take it seriously, which is why nowadays what I do is I go, listen, don't make the mistake of taking it seriously because mm. some people have. Yeah. And even though some clubs have acknowledged that their protests are wrong... Mm-hmm. They haven 't sided with me, and that 's up to them you know no no one's under any obligation to book me, but in this particular era now, you have to be very careful doing what i 'm doing or what or back off doing it right so I've chosen to go maybe the hard way up the mountain for no good reason over the overhang with no ropes, mm. right because mm. that's me you're trying to make them laugh against their will, mm. and I'm trying to make it very difficult to explain to other people how you've gotten to that point. So I'd like to push them over the cliff a little bit, you know. Mm. Now, I didn't used to always be like that. I used to be a little bit more approachable on stage, mm. a little bit more upbeat. I think you go through different incarnations, you know. If you look mm. at, I'm not saying I'm an artist as as such, but I mean, I think you're allowed to kind of experiment a little bit. And I want, I'm someone who most people who know me, and there aren't many that do, would go, you push all things. Mm. So So at the moment, I've gone no swearing for the most part, mm occasionally I do it just to put my foot down on the gas and see if the car still got anything in it mm. and sometimes I do gigs where like you're doing a military gig or something and I feel it needs it mm. or I'm doing a Christmas gig and they haven't had what they've been promised mm. and I don't go out to make up for that but I push them I, I just go you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you, you're going to buy into this you're going. To, oh, I'm going to go down all guns blazing I don't lose here mm. but generally speaking it's about sort of Basically, not saying the wrong thing, but it's about not towing the line. Mm-hmm. You know, for a, lo- a lot of things now in this era of... I find it really hard to take it seriously. I was, mm-hmm. I was telling someone the other day that I was experimenting with the idea of going woke, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's very difficult to get my head around doing the right thing in comedy. Because I think comedy is about breaking the rules. Yeah. And I think <laughs> if the right thing in life morally, whatever that means, is that you should try and make the world a better place as, a, as an individual... And uh, that you should generally believe that, you know, uh, there should be less racism, less bullying, Mm. and that we should do something about, you know, uh, making the environment better for future generations. I can understand that that's a laudable thing to do. But as a comedian, for me, you've got to go the other way. Mm. So for me, the right way to go with clearing up plastics from the sea is to train an army of dolphins to swallow the plastics and regurgitate them into floating bins. Mm. I've been to SeaWorld and I'm pretty sure that would be more interesting for them in doing that now people get too hung up on it and they get emotionally involved with what I'm saying and therein lies the problem Mm. I'm not an emotional person most people are therefore going to be more emotional than me and I think you know you add various substances and uh, moods and drink to it and it's very easy for them to blow up and get online and Mm. do whatever they do I don't know Mm -hmm. what they do because I don't read it you know Mm -hmm. I'm too busy out there you know, kidnapping people, yeah, gun stories and all that. You know? yeah. is this is helpful to you, what I'm saying. No, it's great, Sean. I mean, I feel that you're wearing the no. wire, and this is all part of trying to get me to confess well, to various you... things and various bodies that have gone
0: missing over the years. There is true. They're to people... have to try harder than that. This is all linked to China, you see. Right now, this is being streamed. live. <laughs> Don't get me started on China. You been to China? Uh, yes, I have. I ah, had
1: How'd you find it? I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe that's what they want me to think. Ruled with an iron fist, would you agree? But yeah. I've had phone calls from the Chinese Embassy. Oh, Hello. Think... You're, you're arriving in Shanghai in four days. What are you planning to do? Mm. I don't know, this and that. Mm. You're not planning to do this, are you? Like comedy. Yeah. Why? Because you don't have a business, uh visa. Oh. I mean, I've had that conversation. Mm. I've been pulled out of the line in Shanghai. I've had them spread out uh, a 20-foot square piece of plastic. and told me to empty my bag. I don't even know what they're looking for. I've mm. asked them what they're looking for. Yeah. Wow. And they do it in front of everybody. And then when I found out what they were looking for, I laughed out loud, which didn't get me anywhere good, you know? Mm-mm. Yeah. What were they looking for, John, were they asking? A cigarette lighter. A cigarette lighter? After all that, yeah. Funny enough, you can <laughs> you can get loads of things from customs. I've tried, yeah. you know? Some airports are more strict than others. I mean, uh, I don't want to go into t- details sure. about that. But, you know, <laughs> sure, no things can cross lines very easily. And sometimes it, when they're looking for something that you don't think they're looking for, it's, it's actually quite hilarious when wow. they go, what's yeah. this? And you go, it's a bit lighter. And yeah. you go, OK, oh, great."
0: Funny. So you've been gigging in
1: Shanghai then? Uh... I've been all over the world, basically. Mm. I think uh, I've gigged in the Nordic countries. Mm. Well, I've gigged in Norway a few times, put it that way. Mm. That was excellent. They were very, very sober audience. Um, you know, they speak English as a second or third language to such a high degree that you can really give it some nuance, you know, Mm. and and they don't drink before they come there because if you've been to Norway, Mm -hmm. it's very expensive to drink there. Mm. And so I found them to be very intelligent, responsive audiences. I've played in Vegas a couple Mm. of times. Mm. I've done the Riviera Hotel, which is where they they used to shoot a lot of um, gangster movies in there because the Riviera Hotel was one of the old style designs. It look, it, the reason they shot it in there is because you find Casino, the film Martin Scorsese is, is mm. shot there, mm. and um, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Yeah, these are kind of mm. heist gangster movies because the inside of that casino hasn't been spoiled by modern ways, you know? So they look like they can do it in the 50s and 60s and still pass it for that time there. Mm. You know, doing a week in Vegas or two weeks in Vegas, mm. which I've done a couple of times, is an interesting experience because you're playing to a cross-section of America. You have to slow down what you're saying. You have to really scrutinise your back catalogue and find out what is most accessible to mm. them. Mm. You're dealing with um, a completely different mindset. You know, they don't expect you to be good and you are a distraction from the gaming table, so mm. you get a lecture before you go on. I think I was doing 30 minutes and they would say... <laughs> I mean, they, they, they again, they gave me a phone call at home before I got there. I remember being at my parents' house and they rang me there. I thought it was a a gag, the way they were talking to me, you know. Are you, you know, you show me, oh, yeah. You good? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm quite good. I don't need quite good. I had a guy here last week, he was quite good. He ain't Mm -hmm. coming back no more. Here's the deal. You do not declare yourself as anything else but a tourist when you get here. It was all done as per, you know, the way you think it Mm. was. You're paid cash. When you get paid cash, they pay you from the cage Mm -hmm. and you have to walk across the casino floor because they want you to be tempted by the goodies there. Of course, back into the They don't want you to get back to your (laughs) hotel room with your pay. Totally. Um, I did it with Rich Hall in 96. Mm. He was the primary reason I got there. They took us to the counting room and they gave Rich a speech as well, which made me feel pretty good. I've been away with him a few times New Zealand, and he's, again, another maverick type of person. He's actually a very good example, I think, of what you can do through comedy, you know, make mm-hmm. it, your life a very adventurous thing. Mm-hmm. And they were worried about the number of walkouts which was going to get, mm-hmm. because which has a habit of kind of getting ready. There's all kinds of people in the audience in Vegas. Mm who've got free tickets to go to the comedy show just to get a break from losing their money. And Mm. so when they come there, they're not totally focused on the comedy. So you can get a lot of distractions. This is before people had mobile phones. Mm. And so Rich would kind of find a way of getting rid of all those people before he really got into the meat of what he was doing. Mm. I can't really tell you the joke that he told, but it was pretty full on. The guy told him not to say it. He said it. He got rid of like, you know, 28, 29 people. Mm. The guy gave him the speech afterwards. It was good Mm -hmm. fun, but a lot of pressure, I'll be honest Mm -hmm. with you. When you go and travel, when I talk about the road miles, Mm -hmm. I think when you go to somewhere like Las Vegas, you're under pressure to hit the mark every night. Mm -hmm. If you're doing 30, they would say, what the guy said to me was this, he goes, so you're doing 30, when do you want a light? I said, okay, I'll have a light at 26. He says, the light will come on at 26, Mm -hmm. it'll start flashing at 28. And if you're not off by 30, i am going to come off and pull you off with a fucking rake, you know? And he wasn't kidding either. Mm. But they kind of, there's no room for you to go long Mm -hmm. because I've heard stories, we didn't go past that point, where they work out how much money that number of people Mm. would be donating to the casino and percentages Mm. per minute, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a big deal for them Mm -hmm. not to keep people in there for longer. The number Mm. one thing, you've got to be on time and they Mm. really are... Strict about it we went to the, the there was a strip joint next door which we had a look at for research purposes mm. when you look at strippers and stuff like that they're professional people whether you have a moral high ground about mm. it or not you've never seen people more like business minded in your life it's so far away from sex you can't believe it they weigh them on monday morning they mm. weigh them mm. and you, i think there's a little bit of leeway but they have to make the weight like boxers yeah, wow. and, you know they're almost looking at their watches mm. you know when they're wow. doing their thing it's very very Business like. The whole mm. place exists to steal your money. Yeah, I mean yeah. there's a guy there that Rich Hall there's a guy there called I hope if you're listening to this Rich and I don't see any reason why you should be, but <laughs> um, there's a guy there called Geechee Guy and he lived in Vegas. He'd been brought up and he looked like plug from the Bass Street kids, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And he said to me, These people have learnt every single way to steal your money. Every mm. if there's an angle they've had it, he said, even the bars, mm. Canberra on the bar downhill, so that if you get given a coin in your change, oh. and it rolls down, it'll fall off that and fall into the carpet, and the carpet is so thick you won't be able to find it, until so you look cheap. He says, they've, they've thought of everything. Wow. <laughs> God, that's great. Yeah. You know, you that's go sick. off and do all these things like a uh, mm-hmm. bumped parachutes. I you know? mm-hmm. absolutely lost my rag mm. with these people. You you pay for a parachute jump. Mm. I was with someone there, and they were... Like, to me, if you go and do a parachute mm. jump, You enjoy the night before because the worst thing that can happen is you're not gonna be there the next day so Mm -hmm. go and enjoy your meal and I was with somebody who was worried the whole night so I ditched them and then the next morning when you meet these people on a flatbed truck and they don't show up they bumped us for another a bunch of people who'd offered them more money oh man and I went round every phone directory Mm -hmm. that I could find in every casino for about Mm -hmm. half an hour just writing all kinds of profanities in the telephone directory about what these people were like Mm -hmm. And then I rang them up and I said, I want my money back. And if mm. you don't give my money back, I'm going to get it back. I'm going to come down there right now, right? Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, they're out there. And they... But I did get my money back mm. off them. I didn't want to go with them after that. Because if you can't be good to me on the ground, mm. I'm not going to jump out of a plane with yeah. you. How can you trust them? Well, really, to be honest with you, it's not a big surprise. Vegas, Bugsy Seagull, it's all about the dog. Mm. And even though now... It's all a pretty sanitised.
0: Mm-hmm. Sean, whenever your name comes up, right, uh, in like character or anything like that, right, you are one of the most, ever how prolific you are, yeah. right, with, uh, you know, you I know you don't like talk, like, big yourself up, oh, this is like, oh, this is like tough, oh, I know. I'm always,
1: I'm, I'm always waiting for the, no, police. But, are the police going to jump at <laughs> any term... moment now and just like,
0: call me out? <laughs> but like, you know, they say that, you know, how prolific you are, and you know, how, how, how disciplined you are, I mean, you seem like a very disciplined person in most things you do, Right. What well, is I would put it like Mio. this. Okay, if I'm going it, to do
1: something, I go for it. How about that? Sure, that's great. <laughs> So what's your typical... What's a typical Sean Meal? At the day? moment, here's what I'm doing at the moment. This is what I've been doing for... I'm not going to get into specifics about what I've been writing and who I've been writing for I think, and what projects I'm on but because I think it puts a buck on it. And I, I went round to a, a comic's house over the Christmas period and uh, I don't really watch television. And he had access to like, the television equivalent to... Uh, you know, a sweet shop for a kid, you know? And I watched this, a, a series of uh, Jerry Seinfeld shows called Comedians in... Cars. In Cars Getting Coffee. Yes. And I was very keen. I was amazed at how many people I've been lucky enough to work with, right? Mm-hmm. Because I've done a few shows which have had international casts on them. That Some of those guys are absolutely fantastic comics who are not alive anymore. They were the kind of jolt I had at that point in my career, if you can call it a career, mm. where I went, you know, Greg Giraldo, amazing, you mm. know, mm. Robert Schimmel, amazing, mm. and different types of comic, you know, mm-hmm. some were conversational and uh, on the, uh, uh, and, and kind of uh, low status, but very, very, very intellectual. Mm-hmm. Some of them were dirty comics like Robert Schimmel. Mm. I think what I got from a lot of it was... Having a work ethic, you know, the Gary Shandlings, the Seinfelds, the Chris Rocks, these people work very hard at it. And I think even though they're mega talented, you can see when when they're talking about it how much work they're putting in. So what I've decided to do over the last couple of years is really treat it like a proper job as opposed to just waiting for inspiration and writing things down in a notebook. What I've done is I've been writing... On average, five days a week, five or six hours a day. That means, you know, five or six proper hours. I'll do a two Mm -hmm. and then I'll have breakfast and then I'll do a three and then I'll have a look at what I've done and I'll do maybe an hour and a half, two hours. So, And then what happens usually is there's a period afterwards on the way home where things percolate Mm -hmm. and you suddenly go, you know actually do you know as a result of doing that things happen you know mm-hmm. it's like an accelerated form of the gig process where on the way home from a gig you're in a heightened state of awareness mm. what i'm doing is i'm genuinely getting myself into that point so what i've discovered in the last year or so i would say 14 months is the amount that you produce is huge but the percentages they increase from maybe three or four percent it's much higher than that. You get you get better at doing it. It's a bit like a muscle, you know? Yeah. So you're training your body like weight training, you know? And you get much better at warming up. So the first two hours is usually pick a story mm. from any newspaper. Mm. Like today, for instance, I was on the way in. I, I went, and also, I go to the gym first. And instead of being up at three or four o'clock in the morning. Mm. What paper? Doesn't matter. Any. And it's usually for the kind of same effect that you would get of watching the little ticker tape that goes under Mm. the Sky News, right? Now, here's what I would say that works for me, right? It's a bit like Gary Player said, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. You're going to get better at doing it, but Mm. you're going to get more hits. You know, you're mining Mm -hmm. for gold. And if you do it eight hours a day, you've got more chance of hitting something if there's gold there, right? Mm. So I'll look at the Metro because it's free, but I'll also look at the sun because the sun is... Not really something I really like, but i don 't dislike it, but it 's written The first paragraph that 's in bold encapsulates the whole story that may be in two or three pages, so it 's a precy, it 's very succinctly written there's lots of words in there that can be trigger words it 's done to basically appeal to the writing ability of a twelve year old even though that 's not really what you would expect from buying a newspaper like a lofty newspaper like the Telegraph or the independent it 's very skillful for people to do that, and what happens is you get words in there that may not be in the other papers and quicker right. Mm-hmm. I'll look at a headline or I'll look at uh, the Daily Mail. I don't care really, you know. If a story that's on the front two or three pages or maybe up to page seven has repeated in those, I might just look at the headline on it and then get one of those two papers and then read it. Just read that whole article and then get a pen out and I'll look at words that trigger off on it and then I'll think about everything I can think about to do with that. And sometimes those stories will be like, for instance, today I was reading about, say, people being woke and also the Oscar nominations. So not only have you got the Oscar nominations coming out the last couple of days, you've got the woke people, Mm -hmm. the worthy people, Mm -hmm. talking about what they don't like about it, which Mm -hmm. would never have happened before. You Mm -hmm. just get the Oscar nominations, and there's plenty of them, there's different categories. And then you've got all the titles that come with them, and then you've got, do I like woke, do I not? Am I going to pretend to be woke, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So off the back of it, I thought to myself, 1917, the movie, Mm People are screaming about lack of diversity. Where can you get a joke? Can I get a joke in there? And I thought, you know what's really funny is if you said, well, I think it's funny anyway. Is I went to nineteen seventeen, and I can use the same. I can use the same setup for different punchlines. So I go, I went to nineteen seventeen. I was appalled at the lack of diversity. That's the setup, mm-hmm. and the lack of diversity would be this. The title was nineteen seventeen. All the numerals. Odd numbers. There's mm-hmm. no even numbers, right? So I'm upset with that. Then <laughs> I also go, well, here's a stupid thing to think. Yeah, Obviously, in World War One it would be mostly men. Mm. So I want to go, where are the Chinese people? Where are the Eskimos? All the rats are grey, right? So mm. you've got yourself something. Mm. These are not brilliant things, but what I'm saying to you is you're getting yourself into thinking mm. funny. I'm going the wrong way. I'm moaning about mm. something. Mm. I know that now people are moaning about that film and saying there's a lack of women in it, which just shows you how warped their thinking mm-hmm. is yeah. there were women out there but mm. if you go out to those battlefields you'll find there were very very few mm. and and to tell me that a film that's made about that is being unrealistic is it's just mm. It's like it, i've got no time for these people in comedy world mm. it's going the wrong way
0: like even in uh like laurel hardy uh uh films now they have like uh before the the actual uh episode they have like things that says uh, you know, do please not, do not be offended by anything you will see in the next, uh, like, t-
1: 10, 15 minutes. You know, because it's, like, so... Cause well, it's from the past. Well, I think, you know, there's a comic, John Ryan, right? Mm-hmm. John Ryan has a really good thing he says before he goes on stage. And I talked to him briefly a while ago. He's got great people skills. You know, he's a, he's a very good example of someone that if you're a comic... Like, there are loads of comics out there that can do quite a lot of time on stage without saying very much. And I'm not saying he's one of them. He's got a mixture of things. He's got great people skills. He, he's got a very everyman type of appearance, a very blokey way about him. He doesn't alienate anyone. But even though he doesn't do that, he still says this, right? We live in an era where people, we don't choose to give offence, but people take offence, right? And I think that's a really great way of approaching the situation comics are in now. Mm -hmm. And he does it, I think, because John does a lot of work for the NHS. If I'm wrong here, John, I'm sorry. And he does a lot of cruise gigs, which are much harder than people think. Mm. You know, you get a lot of snobbery in comedy. And some of it is that people who haven't done these gigs or can't do them very well will have a go at people who. Do them. I'm telling you now, doing clean 30s, three separate ones on a ship in front of people who are in wheelchairs, who are being fed, who have carers, who are. Who are and let me tell you something I've been on cruise ships. There's a lot of people who get on cruise ships. With. I talked to a guy once on a cruise ship, I and mean, his job was to, to weed out the professional moaners. Right. I don't know what his job title was, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> He's a South African guy, like laser beam sharp. He said three or four percent like if you take three thousand people get on a ship, mm. right? He said three percent of those people will get on there with a dead mouse or a cockroach to put in their room. And what they the reason they do that is so they can get an upgrade and get something for nothing. This is mm. the sort of mentality you got. So if you sort of translate that to people moaning online about comics they don't like, Mm -hmm. but not liking something doesn't mean they're shit, Mm -hmm. you know, it means it's not to your taste. Mm. And who who the hell are you anyway, right? Choosing to take offence is just a licence to moan. Mm. I'm very wary of it. Clearly, I'm not a very empathetic person. Comedy has shielded me, I suppose, to a certain extent over the years from the repercussions of that, right? Mm. But at the moment, yeah, I, I feel it in certain areas, you know. It doesn't really stop me, it just makes me think about cleverer ways of doing it, right? I have my flavour and I'm going to deal it, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? If you don't like it, it doesn't mean... It's like I'm. if I'm a chef, it doesn't mean I'm a shit chef, it just means I'm not to your taste. In the payoff, that, whether, for example, the cruise
0: ships and the dead mouse and the cockroaches, are a payoff, there's they again, upgrade, but what's the or, payoff for a fence then? I mean, is it just like, oh, you're one
1: of the um, they group? Can, well, put it this way, they can... If enough of them say they didn't like this guy, you cannot be booked. It can have an effect on the booker's fear of booking you again. Uh, I would say there's probably a trickle-down effect in the clubs. I think what it does is it promotes an area of fear that Mm. was never there before. So I think it's an occupational yeah. hazard, but it's not the same as heckling. I mm-hmm. think heckling is someone, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I would say in the last six, the last couple of years, I've had some dramatic ones, but really difficult on the spot to argue your case in front of, you know, if you make a joke that involves someone who's disabled with mm-hmm. some disabled people in the room and they get the wrong end of the stick, they can all march out. But, mm-hmm. you know, Most of them do and uh, <laughs> yeah, and then voice their concern to the mm. manager and go, we want our money back, right? right? But sometimes what happens is they've got it wrong and they start threatening with litigation. I'm absolutely sure of this, i mentioning the club, mm. that the club has made a decision to side with them and not the comic. They fear that people will go online and it will affect ticket sales. Now, mm. I can understand that they've got a business, right? Mm. And they're not in business to have people like me come along and jeopardise it, right? So... Mm. I think if you're, and I'm not a dangerous comic, I'm Mm. a comic, Mm. but I think that there's a risk factor now Mm. with social media and also people being a little bit too sensitive and a little bit kind of not realistic with what we're doing. To jeopardise careers, Mm. you know, it's very hard running a club. Mm. I know Mm. people who run clubs, you know, there's some of these clubs that are running like uh, twice a month or once a month, you know, you can wreck it Mm. with a comic that's being dangerous on the night and out of 100 people 80 loved it and 20 didn't and that 20 people can really have a massive knock on effect the
0: needs of the few are destroying the needs of the many already isn't it so you got where I'm I
1: think it's it's just it's, you know I think in the uh, Rubik's Cube of life mm. if you want to call it that way you know you're always looking for the perfect combination to try and get on with this life but I mean in the end to me just uh, you know you're two steps up and three steps down you, you're continually have, uh, and, and for me personally I've had to I think had to you know, I've been read the riot act by enough people. Mm. I've said to them, look, I'll try and be nice, right? <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but to be honest with you, sometimes I just go, right, so I'll take the swearing now, right? It doesn't, that, 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 that can have a very minimal effect on the effect of what I'm doing, right? I mm. started doing some sort of preamble, which was mm. don't make the mistake of taking this seriously because it's almost like a disclaimer. Mm. But guess what? drugged up, drunk people who aren't that bright mm. who or whatever mm. can still not hear what I'm saying mm. and get up and march out and give you the speech. That's mm. the other thing. They don't just leave. You mm. know, like sometimes when you leave and you turn your back on me, it's the best thing you could do. No speech is nothing. You turn around and give me the speech like a departing girlfriend or whatever. Mm. You can sometimes undermine it. You go, you know what, well, I don't think you go, you, you didn't really listen to what I'm saying. But that's what happens when you have a combination of things that are going on. I mean... Uh, I've had a couple of guys, I'll say that's gone the other way. Mm. They've sat there and they've thought, that's why we brought you here. We thought that was amazing when you said that to them. Mm. That's more exciting for an audience than just having someone do it. I'm not setting out to really upset people, mm. but unfortunately, you know, I do go for the jugular mm-hmm. and people are oversensitive. Mm. And So they're going to be casualties and sometimes I'm the casualty and mm. sometimes they are.
0: So take a risk. okay. What your, uh, for, so for a comic mindset, what do you think is the best
1: way to stay in the game? Can well, you know, my, 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 my aim is to be 40, 40 years a comic. Uh, I, I, might, I might not be alive tomorrow. But I want to be a good comic for another eight years. Mm-hmm. That would be very satisfying, I think, to be a comic for 40 years. Mm. Like being a pirate for 40 years. Mm. I don't know if there were many of them that did that. And I think that if you continue to write, and also, there's a certain um, evolution, you know. I think you get better at it if you work harder at it. might not have worked as hard at it as I thought I had. So now I'm I'm just going, Do you know what? Let's see how much I can get done. So, you know, at the moment, by 9 o'clock in the morning, I put a lot of money on the fact that there aren't many people who've written as much as I have by 9 o'clock in the morning, five days a week. I put a lot of money on that. Mm. I think... You know, there's an ethical thing about stealing material mm. and I don't really worry about that. I know some people get really upset about that but mm. there is such a thing as parallel thinking mm. and I. but it doesn't happen as often as you think. I would say you're going to have people who've got no scruples. Mm. I don't get hung up on about it. I wouldn't mind meeting them. I wouldn't want to act like that. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. But um, I think what happens is you, you close off part of your brain when you nick things and I, 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 I want to be as true to my brain as I possibly can not be the smartest guy in the room. Mm. That to me is very important. If if I'm looking up and not down mm-hmm. in terms of intellectual, you know, mm. process. Mm-hmm. I was reaching. I was yeah, reaching. I'm always looking to be, how much better can you get at this? Mm. So I'm looking to be the best version of myself I can be most of the time. That's a very difficult mm-hmm. thing to do, I think. I think mm. you're trying to do that with your life anyway. Mm-hmm. And God knows, you know, it's a difficult thing to do. I think a lot of people are too ambitious, really, I think. For me, you're trying to be the best version of yourself as much of the time, and that's a difficult ask. Mm. I mean, when I go, I go, Mm. and I, you know, I I know I'm volcanic. Mm. I know it. It's very difficult to keep a lid on it sometimes.
0: Do you find? Do you ever
1: wear yourself out? Hit a wall and just go, oh
0: man! No, no, no. Well,
1: put it this way. I think you can stay at the well too long in one session. Mm. I know. I tell you when I think. I don't know who's going to listen to this podcast and find this interesting, by the way, but I hope this I is going i find it interesting. That's right, so here's what I do. <laughs> if I do more than... Like, I word associate a lot, mm. and you'd be surprised. Like, last week, you know when Harry said he was going to Canada, right? Mm-hmm. I know that if I if I write a pouch or a group of jokes, right, mm. I always go, I'm going to stay on this subject and see if I can come with 12 or 15 jokes on this subject. Just stay on it, not move mm-hmm. across it, right? So, Prince Harry... And uh, Meghan decide to divorce themselves from being principal royals or whatever the hell nomenclature they use for themselves, mm-hmm. right? And go to Canada, right? So I come up with a bunch of jokes of that. The one that the, you're always looking for nuggets, the large piece of shiny gold that you find after. And sometimes that comes quick and sometimes it doesn't come. And sometimes it comes slow. And I think what I like to do is I like to really root around and find that one and put that at number one. So I've mm-hmm. got a pillar in mm-hmm. my list. Right? I've got something that's worthy of being in the list. Mm-hmm. And pretty, I would say, I'd written about five or six, you know. I looked up, going to Canada, in some parts of Canada, you have to be able to speak fluent French mm-hmm. to move there. And I thought, you know what, Megan's married a prince and she's now trying to turn him into a frog. Now that's class, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but, I, but then... I go, right, so there's my one. Mm. That's my number one. Mm. Can I write other... So you're, you're pushing from there. You're mm. not you're not stopping the day from there. Mm. You're not doing... That's my seven. That's mm. my one. Mm. So I go... So within about an hour, yeah. I had 10, of which that was the best. And I'm looking not depressed. Mm. Because, you know, I'm, I'm writing a long time every day. And also, mm. I think you can lose yourself in it. You know, mm. it's not a surprise to me people go to jail and end up getting educations and writing books. Because the rest of it's clock watching. And most people's jobs, right, are school with money right mm. I'm, I'm, I'm working a shift at the moment where i'm working security for someone right and that they've given me an office and in that office i get to write all day long so as far as i'm concerned i can sit and look at the clock i can pass the time of day with the guys who come in or i can go write. i get paid to write so i get paid to write mm-hmm. so i do what woody allen does i sit down i go to the gym first i come in i have a crack with the guys who deliver parcels right i have a crack with the guys who clean i have I look at people who look down on people they've worked with for 11 years and don't know their names. I've introduced Mm. these people to people who like, high up the chain, have you met my colleague Chris? And Mm. they don't know his name after Mm. 11 years. And I go, well, listen, I'm a prick, but I'm not that much of a Mm. prick. So I kind of know when my bread's buttered a little bit more now. So I I take pleasure introducing the guy who cleans the bins to someone who's head of housekeeping, Mm. just to see the look on their Mm -hmm. face and go, if we were in a ship and it sank and we were in the life raft, You need to understand, if you were swimming towards us, I might not let you in, right? Because of your attitude. And so I think, you know, I've just zoned in on what most people do. Most people have to do a mundane, repetitive job for, you know, not the best money. Mm. And it's hard for them. And I have coasted or pushed it or gone off the rails a little bit and come back. At comedy, which I'm reasonable at, and I'm now trying to go, well, can I, how good can I get at this? Mm. Not what can I get in terms of status. Mm. I just think I'm a comic, you know? Mm. I'm just like, can you find, you know, really squeeze the, the, the lemon and get the, mm. the juice your potential out? Yeah. So, so for me, from that, I kind of enjoy the day. And then when I go and do gigs, I've got this, I've got this back catalogue of jokes mm-hmm. from the week, let alone from my life. Yeah. So I don't look at it like, I don't look back on what I've got. Mm. I always go, so like tomorrow... I will go and do exactly what I've said to you. I'll go to the gym at five, and I will be sitting down with my pen on this computer that they've given me, and I'll be going right. What's the what's? I just go to page seven. I've got page seven of the mail, and I'll find something. And you know, there's a lot of things that overlap, but I haven't really hit the wall. Here's what I would say though about if you spend more than two or three hours, you will find when you spell check your stuff. That you've suddenly written a whole sentence in capital letters. Right, have a cup of tea, mm. do something else, mm. and I'll go and do that. I think three hours is about the limit. Just have something to eat. Yeah, you know, do something else. Or read a book. You know, sometimes I'll listen to a bit of music. I mean, I don't mean. I mean, proper like you know, some soundtrack from a movie that can mm. sometimes lift you. You know. Mm.
0: And like, what's the what would that be? What kind of soundtrack is that?
1: Well, I'm a big fan, you know, I, I, I like movies very much and I, I, you know, today I was looking up um, Inception, you know, the oh, film yeah. Inception mm-hmm. and the guy who who's, uh, Hans Zimmer is the guy that does that and he, he did a lot of Chris Nolan's movies with Batman and I will listen to the music that plays over the last five minutes of that, which is called Time and I'll listen mm-hmm. to the extended version of that and I think that can, in its own way, it can it can lift you in a Mm. different way. You'd be Mm. surprised what can influence you. Mm. I mean, I'm not a big fan of rap music. I don't think it can lift you in the same way that other music can. Mm. It's a bit too, there's just not enough in it for me. It's all Mm. guns and whores and drugs and all that. One note. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but Mm. it's not the same. It doesn't Mm. grab you. It doesn't move me. Number one favourite film then? I think that's really difficult. I think that's a very difficult thing to do. I would say... Is there
0: like a... Because for okay? I know what mine would be for, for me. Would probably be well. Conan, then you're a Conan. better man
1: than me. Not saying, not saying, not saying. I must that say bad that because I'm in your
0: house. <laughs> I say I, lo- I love Conan. Conan, like the Barbarian, not the Destroyer.
1: Right, well, that's the end of this. <laughs> no, Conan, Conan
0: like, the Barbarian. Yeah, because it, it's just what the
1: first one. The
0: the, the the not the Destroyer. The Destroyer is too camp. The, right, the, who the, directed that? Uh, I have no idea. Um, who wrote it? Uh, I have no idea. Again, what's no right, your favorite the, film? You but it's my favorite. If your film's in the theater, I think you'll find. I think you'll find. I think you'll <laughs> find. <fart laughs> okay, Sean, sure, I apologize. John I'm Milius, yeah. right? And I'm not, I've got nothing John on me. John
1: Milius directed it. Yeah, It was 1982. Yeah, And it was Oliver Stone, right. I think, you may have written the script for that. Right. I know that sounds crazy because I'm crazy. a big fan of Oliver Stone. Yeah. His films have a big, big, big place in the place where my heart used to be (laughs) Um, it's just a catalogue now (laughs) I think sometimes what I'll do is I'll play the end of a movie or a scene Mm. from a movie I'm a big fan of Thin Red Line the Terrence Malick version in 1998 Mm. that movie came out at the same time as Saving Private Ryan Mm. and got loads of nominations and didn't win anything but it's a very existential war movie and a lot of people think it was a bit too and up its arse but I've watched it several times and I think it's a great great movie and Mm. I think it really captures how will I ever go back after this war Mm. and explain to people what I've done a lot of soldiers go back and Mm. They've just spent the whole time getting lucky and trying to survive. Mm. When they get home, it's really difficult to explain some of the things they've done. And I think um, the expression, I've done things in the woods, mm. you know, you'd be surprised what you do that other people haven't seen that allow you to get out of it. Mm. Better people than you go, you know? Mm. So I think that, can, that really has a lot of fear and loathing and the acknowledgement of luck in it. And I, And I think a lot of movies now They then capture that. Anyway, Mm. it's a personal thing. That's for Mm. me. You know. Mm. On the other hand, I can watch Where Eagles Dare and just love it for what it is. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm. Um, There are lots of different types of movie. Clearly. I'm I'm not a big fan of Conan. romance. You okay. <laughs> <laughs> like you like you uh, must like a uh, Bridge too far and like Richard a... Fleischer, I think, directed this, Conan the Destroyer. Right. You're you're in really dangerous territory if uh, you start arguing with me about film. Trip. No,
0: not at all. Not at all not arguing at all. Have no. you ever
1: seen a film called The Professionals?
0: Uh, Lee Marvin nineteen
1: sixty six. Richard Brooks directed. Got oh, a great piece it. of dialogue on it when right. when Lee Marvin is being questioned by one of his team. They're on it's a men on a mission movie, right? They're going off to get Jack Polans because he's kidnapped someone's wife, you know. And uh, it's like nineteen nineteen. It's quite it's one of those periods of time where the barbed wire and machine guns have been invented, which was kind of uh, the beginning of the end of the West, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got the Pinkerton agency can hunt people down, and you've got Lee Marvin and Burt Lancaster, just colossal stars, just burning the screen up. And Robert Ryan is the the horse wrangler in the team. You know? mm-hmm. And there's, there's Woody Strode, who's the guy with the, the, the expert with the bow, you know, it's mm-hmm. one of those things, four mm-hmm. And This guy says to, uh, Robert Ryan says to to Lee, Lee Marvin, he goes, uh, and don't, let's not forget, Lee Marvin was a scout sniper in World War II in the Pacific, like 22 mm-hmm. missions, right? So first guy on the island, mm-hmm. he'd done it, been there, big fan, I'm a big fan of what he did. You know, mm-hmm. when he got buried in Arlington Cemetery, It says Lee Marvin, PFC, Hmm. right? Marine. It doesn't say movie star. He Hmm. got buried with the rest of them, right? Hmm. He's a proper bloke, right? And this guy says to him, uh, what kind of people thrive in these conditions in the desert? It's boiling hot during the day and it's freezing at night. And he goes, men tempered from steel. Hmm. Men who endure, tough breed. He goes, what like you? He goes, no, like the guy we're chasing. Fantastic. Hmm. That sort of thing. I can look at a little clip of that and Hmm. go... That's fucking amazing. Yeah. And then just go back to writing jokes, yeah. funny enough. Yeah.
0: Did you ever think of joining the military?
1: I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> I've had my moments. Right, okay. I yeah. went to Afghan a couple of times, talked to other people who have been there. And there's, there's a few comics I know who've been there. Without a shadow of a doubt, the most exciting, most fulfilling thing I've ever done as a comic, possibly Mm. in my life, is those two tours. Absolutely phenomenal. Got all the time in the world. Mm. Like Bill Hicks said, I'm for for the troops, but against the war. I'm not going to say anything more.
0: So what do you think in your life has set you up to be this driven?
1: Well, that's uh, that's asking me a really tough question. It's nothing you you want to know. Okay. I don't think it would do anything. I mean, you know... I think uh, like a lot of flawed individuals, okay. the things that nearly broke me, made me.
0: I have a question now. I think it's from since I asked, since having this current journey with you, which is a, when I ask people, it's like, what do you see yourself as in comedy? Like what you model yourself on. I, I know what you do, but what you can, because these people don't know what you model yourself on, but you say that you travel around the country and you're like a what? Verbal pirate for a pirate there's one other one you said you're like uh, a yeah. comedy outlaw yeah know. yeah like a gunslinger you said isn't I it? look
1: at it I, I really do think like I, I, I'm i pretty young thinking I know I'm <clears> a <throat> bit carnage orientated but you know I, I really enjoy seeing a comic do well and I really enjoy encouraging a comic that's the fledgling you know as I call mm-hmm. it I know how hard it is I know how Uninterested or off-putting, some people were to me, and occasionally, Mm. people like Bob Mills was so helpful to me, Mm. really encouraging. And you know, I never forget things like that. You know, Mm. I think that it's really unartistically minded to look at people who are coming up as threats to you. It's Mm. just very small-minded. I I love watching someone improve. I don't like seeing anyone really die. I think it's so uncomfortable. Mm. But you know, this is an industry which attracts the great and the deluded and the great that can become deluded, Mm. I think you have to be really focused. I know this is me saying that, but, you know, um, (laughs) I take great pride in doing it well. Mm. And I think that it's a worthy thing to do. I think it has its place in society and Mm. always will do. Mm. My brother said to me starting out, he said, you know what, Sean? He goes, there's nothing quite like watching a really good comic, and there's nothing more upsetting than watching one that's not very good. Mm. In, In order to be really good, you have to really make some serious mistakes in terms of, you know, You don't know where you are. You're trying to fly a plane. You Mm. don't even know how to fly it. You're looking for air miles the whole time and people have to have a bit of faith in you and you have to work at it but Mm. you you really learn like lots of things from the mistakes Mm. and picking yourself up from death 200 miles away and in the car with a bunch of guys who haven't died. It's Mm. very, very hard on you. Mm. And I think that... You can be too career orientated I mean I'm, I've never really wanted I think I suppose you did it when I started you know you, you want to be recognized in the street but I've had a, a tiny bit of that mm. I don't think I reacted well to it I think mm. it's you, the best thing you can do is almost be uh, invisible and then just arrive mm. knock it out of the park and, mm. and then try and separate that exaggerated form of yourself from real life because it's a great thing to do it's mm. a great great thing to do I'm very happy to have spent this many years doing it we'll see what happens you, you were a snooker player weren't you yeah well, do you think like that's incredibly disciplined as well And like, you have to... it was I'll tell you what it taught me it taught me that I wasn't as good as I thought I mean you know I think I met who have I met in the last couple of years I've met John Higgins Right, mm. he's won the championship mm. four times and I was really I suppose surprised that so he came to the comedy store and he'd just been playing in the English Championships in Crawley. I said to the doorman, I said, that's John Higgins over there. And he said, that's not, I said, listen, I'm telling you, that's John Higgins. I went up to him because you came to see the cutting edge at the store. Like I have performed in front of some actors I really like, you know, like Tom Wilkinson, you know, and Billy Connolly mm. and people like that where you're concerned not only that you want to do a good job, but you want to show them what you've got, you know, but that they like it, right? Those are the few occasions where I've just thought, this is no place to die. And also, do they, you know, and also sometimes you can't see whether they're laughing, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think when Tom Wilkinson came, who's been Oscar nominated twice, and you've, if you don't know who the actor is, he's, he specialises in, in playing like uh, stern authority figures, mm. you know. So he's in the full Monty, he's in... Mm. And I remember saying to him afterwards, when he was at the store, I said to the and I said... Uh, can you tell me if, if he's laughed at this when I come off, right? So I come off and I was, you know, like, you know, I'm a professional wind up merchant. So I said to her, I said, I said, did he laugh at that? He said, yeah, he laughed at his ass off. I said, well, it doesn't look like he's laughing his ass off. I said, listen, I'm going to go say hello. I'm going to go in and out and just go, listen, I only really like what you do in this leave in five seconds because you don't want to bother them. And like, he corralled me into a booth with his wife, <laughs> bought a bottle of wine, and started asking me about comedy. And I said to him, I really liked you in that film, The Ghost and the Darkness. And he, and it was like being in a movie with him. He went, <laughs> Ghost in the Darkness? He goes, yeah, Africa. I said, you know in the movie, which is set in like 1890, the guy says to him in the movie, he says, uh, do you like being in Africa? He goes, I fucking hate Africa. I said, that's really funny, that line. He said, it's not in the script, I just fucking hate Africa. I thought it was really funny. I had a great time with him. I really liked... Being able to be good in front of those people, of course. But there are times when I've died mm. on my hole. Mm. In, when you, and that's horrible. Mm. I think the thing with when I was playing snooker was, I, I beat a guy in the top ten in the world once, and he wouldn't shake my hand. And I just felt so aggrieved. I just mm. went because he thought it's beneath him to lose to oh. someone like that. Mm. I play out my skin. He doesn't perform. Mm. You know, mm. those two things, like you know, and I was so annoyed. I was so angry. And mm. and then, in the next match you can be struggling. And it's the matches, it's when you're struggling, you win. That's much, you know, when you're playing well, you play well, but keeping it up is difficult. I remember playing Joe Johnson in 1985. And on the way to the tournament, I was in a car with a guy called Neil Folds, and, and we were involved in a car accident. The car ended up upside down in a ditch. Mm. And we were unscathed, and Neil carved a suede through this tournament, this, this big pro-am, mm. and won it. And I got to the last 16 and played Joe Johnson. And I was so chuffed to be Mm. playing in an arena. Mm. I'd spent all week trying to qualify. Mm. And the guy slaughtered me in about 85 minutes. And I just went, how come you've never won the world championship? And in May, he did. Mm. And when I talked to Steve Davis, you know, Mm. he came to the store as well. Mm. You know, I said to him, do you remember Joe Johnson? He went, he said, man, I said, that guy just didn't, he didn't just fall across the line. He slaughter He went for everything, and he got it. He he, he went for it like uh, he had the little shoes on. Do you remember when he brought the red, wore the red shoes? Mm. It was like a fairy tale. He said he didn't fall across the line. Big deal for someone like Steve Davis to say that. Mm. He slaughtered me. It's really good that people like Steve Davis can say that. You know, mm-hmm. I've read all their books. All these snooker players, and in some of the books, Davis is talking about in three rounds he's beating three players in a row that I've all beat, mm. but not in a row. You mm-hmm. know, beating people in a row is difficult. In the end, I wasn't good enough. But what it taught me was how, to a certain degree, how to handle pressure. Mm. I used to teach snooker to the Grand Prix motor racing champion, James Hunt, years ago. And I remember him putting me under severe pressure at his house. He would pay me £50 for two hours, and then he would play me for half the fee, best of three. And I would have to give him ten over the odds in his own house. And he said, listen, you might be able to play snooker better than me, but I'm going to show you the meaning of the word pressure. And in his own way, he taught me a lesson. You still leave me in the house and just say, let yourself out. And then tell me when I come round. you know what? I remember once I went away to America and he said to me, Listen, just give me a call when you get back. And I never called him. The next thing I knew he was dead. Yeah. But these things happen, you know? I mean, I've been very lucky to be in the presence of uh, some really great, interesting sportsmen, some mm. very, very talented artists. And mm. I think exactly. it all has its own percolating effect on yeah. your life. You're surrounding yourself with
0: these people who are, who are just um, the best at what they do. So well, it's going to make you better. Hunt, right? James you Hunt on. was
1: one of the most alive people mm. I've ever met. I was truly shocked. Mm. I pulled a car over. I couldn't mm. believe it. But when I saw the film Rush, mm. I was on a plane going to Dubai, and I stuck it on. And I think the guy Chris Hemsworth plays mm. him. You know the guy, mm. in, oh, Thor. Yeah, the guy mm. with the hammer. He's onto like. Anyway, listen. He gets him off to i T. I'm telling you, I was around the guy's house mm. frequently, and he has him off to a a T. Mm. And I remember the first thing I ever saw when he answered the door was a guy showed up with no shoes on. And when you see that movie, he's going, oh, sorry. I couldn't believe I did that performance. Mm. That was really amazing. Mm. But like Nicky Lauder says to him, you mm. know, you need to really focus on what you're doing and you're, you're a good looking bloke and you know, you like your party favors, and he said, you know, you need to wise up. But, you know, tell what he told me, James Hunt. He said, um, I drove better in 77 than I did in 76 when I won it. Mm. He didn't know he'd won it because he was in fog in Japan. Mm. You know, it's a funny thing to win the World Championship and be trudging back thinking you've lost it, mm. and then have the trophy. But he said, I had to stop driving because I knew it was going to kill me. I knew, because he was fearless. He was the sort of person that would play chicken. But I mean, all these things, in their own way, have a knock-on effect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about getting some balance. I know this is me saying that, but it's about getting some balance. Yeah. I hope this is interesting. No, I don't I'm, see, how, no, I don't see no, how this is interesting. No, it is
0: interesting. It's interesting. And interesting. I mean, Sean, I, I think you're a great comic, and I think that this is interesting for me. It's just like an archive of comics that are like, you know, that I I, I respect.
1: You know what someone says to me about comedy? Right. Here's we'll something might the, be the, might be yeah. some worth to you, right? I was in a car once, not too long ago, this guy, and he said to me, "I said, How's it, how long have you been going?" He said, well, you know, you know, here's how I look at comedy, right? It's not how old you are and how many years you've been on the planet. It's how long you've been going. So he said, how long have you been going? Mm. And, and I said, 30, 30 years. And he said, well, I've been going three years. So I'm 48 years old and you're 50, whatever you are. In reality, when it comes to comedy, I'm four mm. and you're 30. I'm mm. a four-year-old. Having a conversation with the thirty-year-old. This, this <laughs> that's how he looked at it, and I, and I think that's quite yeah. an interesting. way... that's yes. that's quite a level-headed way of looking mm. at it. And see, I, I always think, get out there and do it. Mm. I admire people who can, you know, be the driver and those Jeff White and gigs, mm. and drive someone two hundred miles and all that. And and to a certain extent, people say. Yeah, he's been taken advantage of. I just, I disagree. I think he's in a car with a bunch of comics. I always bring anecdotes mm. and try and make it fun. The mm, gig mm. starts when we get in the car and it finishes when we drop each other back. You know, if you want to be an outlaw, you need mm. to be there the whole way there. It's not just robbing the bank. It's mm. right. It's riding there and then mm. riding back to the, to the hole in the wall, whatever mm. it is you're going to do. So you, you can discount 90% of, of any group of people who want to do something, right? Mm. So whether you want to be a scuba diver or a pilot or a comic, mm. there's going to be so many people who want to do it and you can discount 90% of them. And of the 10% that are left, Mm. you need to really be realistic and focused on how good you are, how good you can be, and how hard you work. I mean, and I'm still figuring that out now, you know, after 32 years in the game, I Mm. I still think, have I peaked? Well, possibly. But I think really, because I've focused myself so much in the last year, I mean, I never really look back. I look forward, I go, I know the level at which I'm pouring it out. And so, yeah. And also, I'm enthusiastic about yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. He's you know, passion. tomorrow I'll be up at five yeah. in the gym, and I'll do five hours, and I haven't picked my subject tomorrow. Sometimes I pick the subject on the when I'm in the gym. Just as I'm coming out, I'll go, I'll just, I'll see someone, I'll, see, I'll hear some sound bite, someone walks past me, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll just go, do you know what? The gas board. Let's write about the gas board. Because mm. it seems like there's nothing there, but there's mm. loads of mm. stuff there. You know, it just loads. There's no end to it, really. Mm-hmm. You've just got to really go, what's the difference? You know, there's a talent level mm-hmm. and then there's an the application level. Mm-hmm. And then there's a kind. There's another bit, which is just like, I want to do this mm-hmm. more than other people want to do mm-hmm. this. So those sort of three things are the main part of the pie chart. So when you were training as a snooker player, were you six hours a day as well? Or you... well you know what? There's, there's an element. I've, I've talked to boxers about this and some of them tell me that you know they spend all day in the gym and some of them spend you know two or three hours mm. they train twice a day i think you can overthink and overwork things yeah. a bit like the gym if you overtrain, you go backwards mm-hmm. you don't train up. it's a very very yeah. very precise combination mm. because i'm in a situation where i get two hours mm. 15 minute break three hours half an hour break two hours and then the time is mine almost like it's uh, been made for me. Mm-hmm. And I always look at it like, uh, someone said to me the other day, a friend of mine said to me, he said, you fall on your feet here because it, it looks like a bit of a prison, but mm-hmm. you're not treating it like a prison, mm-hmm. you're treating it like an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm just going, he said, you know what, if they offer you back into the snooker room, which I've come from, to work there, mm-hmm. would you, do you think you'd do the same? I'd go, no, oh, probably a snooker day." He goes, yeah, but you're better at this and you know you are. Mm-hmm so you probably better off saying no, I'll stay in jail for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just went, yeah, I haven't been asked that yet, mm. but funny enough, the snooker committee guy said the other day, you know, someone was thinking of leaving there, do you, do you want that post back, full time snooker? Odds are, I'll go no. And mm. people will go, hold on minute, hold on minute, they hired you back in as a, a, a professional, mm. coach, mm. looking after the best room in the country, mm. and now you want to sit here and do this. And I'm mm. like, Mm. yeah because mm. the discipline does you good you know mm. yeah of course girl. so i dug this yeah. piece of material out and it was like from a previous incarnation of, of the journey or whatever it is that i've had right? and i looked at this piece of material and it was about like just normal everyday stuff you know not ice skaters falling over or you know looking at people who've survived crashes who's sponsored by Marlboro cigarettes you know mm. going that's funny, you know, you know, sort of going dark with it, which was uh, about ironing boards, right? <laughs> and I always think to myself, you know, I remember writing this piece of material about why are ironing boards that shape? I just don't get it, you know, mm-hmm. I've got loads of clothes, but I've got nothing that even looks like mm-hmm. that. You know, I've got loads and loads of clothes. But I want to get a pile of ironing, I never think this is going to be hard work. But at least I've got that one shirt that's shaped like a surfboard, mm-hmm. right? And it was from a previous incarnation, it was a more quizzical, hey, isn't this upbeat, and, mm. hey, isn't this odd? <laughs> and uh, and so I thought, well, what could I find that was similar about it? And I was looking at someone, <laughs> looking at someone of the other day who showed up and said, Jesus, it's really, it's really cold outside today. And I went, yeah. And I was looking at this person and they had shaved their eyebrows off. You know, there are some people who shave their eyebrows off, right? Mostly women, mm. but not always, right? And I was looking at this person and I was going, do people who've shaved their eyebrows off really realise they're looking for a different look? But when you look at them, that's not the look that they wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at them going, listen, clearly what you're saying is God got it wrong. Mm-hmm. I want to be part dramatic, part clown. Mm-hmm. And I thought, where's the big pitfall with shaving your eyebrows off? And I thought, here's the big pitfall with shaving your eyebrows off. When I leave the house, my checklist does not include that, Right you don't have to go keys wallet you know mm. marker pen mm. you don't have to do that if you were on trial for your life and the lawyer showed up and he'd shaved his eyebrows off you would not feel happy mm-hmm. about it you'd mm. want to complain and here's the deal you'd have to complain to someone who's wearing a wig right <laughs> so you, you 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 know you're on to something if you saw an airline pilot get on your plane and he'd shaved his eyebrows off and drawn back in pen, you wouldn't feel particularly safe so you, you know you're onto something funny. Mm, mm. It's not there yet, but you're mm. thinking funny mm, mm, about it. But yes. here's the deal. I can't conceive of why people do this. It's like mm. a, it's like a bit like tattoos and piercings to me. There's an element of self-loathing there. Mm. Years ago, I remember writing something where it was, um, when I look at people who shave their eyebrows off, I always wondered, do they do that with anything else? I mean, mm. do they shave their pubic pair off and then draw it back in with an Estée Lauder Bush pencil? But, <laughs> but this is all mm. a different angle of humour. Mm. It's a world away from what I'm doing now, but I I still think you know. You're always looking to get more and more material, Mm. and you're always looking to stay within your voice. Mm -hmm. And and getting your voice is hard. So seeing you on stage, you're showing you're who you are underneath all this, isn't it? Yeah, there's no hiding. I mean, you know, I'm being honest about it. Listen, I'm not for everyone, Mm. and I'm not what they would call a humanitarian or apologetic or anything. No, I just think, you know, I was saying to someone the other day, you know. problem isn't that we need to mend the world, the problem is there's too many people. Mm-hmm. So the solution to the problem isn't to try and make the world a better place, it's to try and cut the number of people. So I've made a list, right? Mm-hmm. So I made a list of people we can do without. Mm-hmm. And that list, well, mm-hmm. if you take it seriously, people would be up in the air. It's mm-hmm. genocide, isn't mm-hmm. it? And there were people on the list who thought, we just, I don't, don't care about them. Mm-hmm. So they can all go, a lot of them, right? Mm-hmm. And then it got down to Iceland. <laughs> they were like, "Why are you getting rid of everyone?" In Iceland. So I went out with the girl from Iceland once, and uh, she split with me. So that's the end of them, right? Mm. But you're looking for comedy reasons. So mm. I think people make the mistake of applying it to real life. I think you'd be surprised. I think you know you've got to separate comedy from real life. And sometimes because the lines are quite close, mm. they go, "He means it." And for me, the the big angle has been to just be the right side of, I'm not sure. I mean, someone someone said to me, they know you don't mean it. I go, I don't even want that, I want they're not sure. They're not sure, but they're happy to be with you for that 20 minutes. Mm. They might not want to share a life raft with you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Or let you in. Right, right. (laughs) Let the right one in. But I mean, that's the flavour I'm playing. And and if I try and deviate from it, Mm. it's much harder for me to be funny. You know, I Mm. think, you know, you need to know who you are. Mm. I remember once I was on a dive boat, right? And this, uh, when you go diving, you, you really are taking your life around. Yeah. I'm a bit of a danger monkey, right? So, yeah. so this guy was going to dive with me. And sometimes when you're on a dive boat, um, they'll pay you with someone you've never met before. And you have to have a little conversation with them because you're going to be underwater for 45 minutes with them, mm. and you need to be buddying with them, you know? If my stuff goes wrong if I get technical failure. You need to help me, and yeah. I need to help you. Mm. So this little two minutes we're talking, so the first question is usually, how many dives you had? Mm. And you can lie about it. And I tend to go, you know, some people like to think that they're not novices. So they say, I've got 400 dives. That doesn't mean I'm going to really trust them underwater. Mm. It's way high. It's way high. So if they've got a dive qualification that's very elementary, and they've got 400 dives, those two things don't tell you. So Mm. you're already trying to show off to me. We don't need this. So I said to this guy, what do you do for a living? And he goes, commercial airline pilot, doing long distance hauls for Cafe Pacific. I said, let me ask you a question. The brace position. You know when they say, if you hear brace, 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 mm. just put your ha- your head between your knees? I said, what's that going to do? Mm. Seriously, what is that going to do? He said, it will keep your head attached to your torso, which will make it easier for people who are clearing through the wreckage to not have to deal with separate heads and mm-hmm. separate torsos. Yeah. I said, yeah, and what else? He goes, it also stops you looking out the window and seeing how long the swim's going to be if you survive. And right. I thought... This guy's cool. I'll go diving with you. It's much better than telling me you've got four hundred dives on yeah. an open water ticket. And we went diving, and it was fine. I never forgot that. I thought that was such a, mm. an honest, cool thing. He says mm. it's got nothing. You're not going to su- listen. The odds on you surviving. It's just about. It's going to make it easier for us to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to yeah. It's nice to to touch your there's body. a head on that one. That's one. You know what, <laughs> what I mean? You're not, not counting out. hands and feet. Yeah. not that funny? Right? Yeah, yeah, not great. funny. Funny. Like, I think that's funny. No, I think, it's fun.
0: I think it's funny. I think it's funny. It's like, so going back I'm to I'm not
1: for everyone in the podcast world.
0: Well, that's <laughs> fine. Who, well, why would you want to be? You can't please everyone, can you? I don't
1: care. Your, what was your first joke real? I think it was something along the lines of, a guy came up to me on a train one day and he said, do you know any football scores? And I said, yeah, loads. 2-1, 3-2, 4-3. Penalties is really exciting. He didn't think it was very funny, and neither did the other 45 Millwall fans on the carriage. Mm. I think I had help from that joke with a, from a guy called Anthony King, mm. who was way in front of me at the time, specialised in wordplay. I think one of the other early ones I had was, uh, they say, Dog's a man's best friend. I've got loads of friends, but none of them, you know, go to the house or something mm-hmm. like that. It, when I look back at them now, you're looking at someone who wanted to be a comic, but wasn't anywhere near ready. And I think your desire to do it has to exceed your fear of rejection. And I think my first gig was at the Turks Head in Twickenham. And the second gig was six weeks later at the Comedy Store following Jerry Sadovitz. And mm. I think I was so nervous I could feel my knees knocking together, dry mouth, the whole thing. first one I got through, the second one, disaster. Mm. The third one I think was up the creek. Well, I suddenly got a massive laugh for no reason. I was so surprised that I stepped back, fell off the stage, and fell through the, the fire doors. I was actually out. I was actually outside the building. This is one of the funniest things ever. It's like I've actually done well, and I've fallen back, fallen through the doors, and yeah. had to go walk around the building oh. and go back in. And they <laughs> they, they cheered me back on, and then booed me off. It was oh, hilarious.
0: No, that's funny. So those three. Things,
1: so so I had this huge peak control. Yeah, thing. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but you you're looking for batting averages, and you're looking to get the plane off the ground and have some consistency mm. for some for some time afterwards you You gradually get better, but you can do the same material in the same order and and have all engine failure and then and and not you know mm. do okay, do well, not have the same material and so you realize it's not just the material and the order, it's mm. about how you do it, and the opening's really important, isn't yeah, it of course? as someone said to me the other day you need to give the audience a bit of foreplay. You know, Mm -hmm. you need to have to kind of gently ease them into you and not go straight to DP. (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: Very true. You know, that's a really
1: crude way of putting it, but... Mm. Anyone who's listening to that will know what I'm talking mm. about. The irony of it is I go straight in hard now. Mm. You know, hello, what's your name? Bad, get on the bed. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Be- because part of it for me is absolutely no prisoners. Why should mm. I even mm. gussy this up for you? Yeah, yeah. This is who I am. Mm-mm. You don't like it. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, that right. type of thing. Yeah, of course. But, but, you know, it comes with its pitfalls, you mm-hmm. know. Mm. I'm not drawing my gun out and going, listen, you guys... You know, if we put the money in the bag, or you never—I'm just going in there and I'm shooting two people. Go put the money back. So you know, I still make mistakes.
0: <laughs> but like uh, we we talked as well about how you you kind of like
1: you. This you... is not a confession way.
0: No, well, no, it's fine. It's fine. This isn't a question that I think I think you'll be able to answer. But it's fine. It's like you have a like games. You make I keep a game. Waiting
1: for you to say. On February the 14th <laughs> in this year, where were you? Because they still haven't recovered the body, go on, people.
0: You go to gigs all around the world, right? But you play, sometimes you play games, uh, you have like little games of going to places, you make a like a reconnaissance mission of like trying to
1: get back from a gig, if you're not being driven. Oh man, you know. these are great, I, I love these I, stories. I, you know? I, I've learnt, in, I've slept rough, Yeah, I've missed the last train, mm. I have slept on a roundabout, mm. I broke into home base once and slept on top of a wheelie bin underneath a tarpaulin. I don't recommend it, but here's the good thing about all of that sort of thing. Mm. I always find that it's sort of a test, you mm. know what I mean? I embrace the test. I'm not somebody who sits there boohooing about it. I okay, it's probably your fault. Mm. Anyway, shit happens. Mm. I think I look at it as a test of commitment to what I'm doing. Mm. And I always have a wry smile on my face when I get out of it. I always go... That was tough. I don't know how many people have got through that and not tell anyone. I mm. um, pretty much haven't told anyone about any of that when it's happened. I've just got to the next gig and got on with it. Mm. I'm not a big on confessions and all that nonsense. I just think, you know, most of it's self-inflicted wounds. Why should everyone else suffer? Why should they know? I just get on with it. I do look at it like a mission. I do. Mm. I just go, you know, there are times when I've got to a station and realised that i've missed the train and i'm on a i've got a ticket that was specifically for a train. and now i remember getting to to durham once i just managed to like there's a will there's a will there's a way you mm-hmm. know managed to get on the train and sort of hop up sort of two or three big stations at a time and get and i'd started early and i Oh, geez. You know, Every time the ticket inspectors came on, I managed to tactically get off at mm. the next stop. Mm. I remember once I just thought, if I get off this train, I won't get to the gig. And I'm mm. so close to it. Mm. And they were coming up the carriage. It's a bit like being one of those World War II movies. <laughs> <laughs> they I have no ticket. They are literally 18 seats away. Mm. And they they asked this guy for his ticket. And he was in the same position oh, as shit. me. And he kicked up a fucking shitstorm. And they went hell for leather with him and said, I'm going to call the police. You're not going to get off the train. And a lot of people got up and told the bloke, listen, you need to get off the train. And I was with them going, yeah, you need to get off the I was with them. And, and, and it took, I was, I was all about making yeah. it last longer. Yeah, yeah. And taking, every, I mean, he, he, had, he took one for the team without knowing he was in the yeah. team. Mad. And then when I got to the other end, I'm sitting there. Sometimes I've sat there and I've gone, of course, if the barriers. Like mm-hmm. in the old days. There'd be some... Here's what's good about phones. People are distracted by phones and they're looking at the phones. I don't have a sympathetic face, right? Mm. You know, there's only so many ruses you can use. But I've been at places where I've got there and gone, now I'm at Durham Station. Mm. And as I get off that train, I'm looking at those ticket barriers. And when I sometimes... see, you know when all the gates are up, it's just like there's been some sort of bomb scare or... Sometimes there's been a football match in that town and I'm not aware of it. And there's been trouble. And these people who run the station has just opened all the barriers. They don't want any shit from these people. And so everyone's herded through like cattle. And I'm more than happy for once in my life to be counted amongst all the thugs that are on that train. I get herded through. They've all got tickets and they just want to get rid of them. I've got no ticket. And sometimes I've approached that barrier and thought, You know, you've got 300 miles up the road here. Mm. You're 200 yards away from the gig, and that barrier is firmly down. Now what? And here's what I do. I look at them and I go, I can run faster than them. Mm. I want to get (laughs) there more than he wants to stop me. And I'll go up and I'll say something. And I've never, it's never, I've never been, you know. I'd say I don't play the I've lost my ticket thing. It's too obvious. Mm. I'll go over a thing. I think I've just left my ticket in the thing. Or, or, yeah. Yeah, something's happened. So, yeah. I, I, there's a way of doing yeah, it. Yeah. Sometimes I haven't. I mean, yeah. honestly, sometimes I've just gone, well, now what? You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to a cash gig. I haven't got a ticket. Mm. I'm here. I'm on time. Ugh. The barrier's down. <laughs> I've just gone down the end of the platform and got oh. over the fence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because i tell you what. The one thing that's good about my face is as much as you're not approachable from the end of the gate, mm. you're so unapproachable they don't want to question you. Occasionally when you do that, it's like mm. one of those movies where you go with friends the and you go, I'm here and there's like a woman just staring at you mm. going, I know what you've just done. I'll go, mm. have a great day. <laughs> good luck. But, you know, to be honest <laughs> with you, yeah. i I tell you what's fu- interesting. Mm-hmm. On the way here, came out of the uh, where I work and I was coming to see you here. I got mm. off the train, I, I thought, I met. bumped into someone, I told the guy who was replacing me today, I so, said, listen, I need to get off to him. I'd rather get there early than late. And, you know, usual, sort of, it was a couple of minutes late, but it was not a big deal. As I was coming through to, I found 20 quid, mm. which pays for my return ticket, funnily yeah. enough, after that anecdote, to yeah. get back here again. And I, I didn't really bargain on it, but I was looking at this 20 quid, and I just looked at this seat, There's 20 quid in the seat, and someone looked at the same 20 quid as me. And I picked it up and I went, "Is that yours?" And he went, "No." I said, "And they could have just said yes, and I would have given it to them." (laughs) So I'm not all bad. Not all bad. But I I, I, I looked at it as, you know, here's here's how I look at luck, right? Mm. I'm by no means good. Mm. I've had my moments, Mm. but I mean, who is, you know? I believe in a certain amount of karma, Mm. right? Mm. I am more good than bad, put it that way. But sometimes I think the luck that you get is a reflection of where you are. So I'm. Mm. Karmically, like that. So right. I think when you get luck, you get luck when you really need it and not when you want it. Final uh, yeah. word on comedy or life from Sean Mio It's all a fight, and then you die. I mean, I, I look at it like uh, if I wake up tomorrow morning, I know exactly what I'm going to do. It's going to be gym, two hours, ten gags, breakfast, three hours of something else I'm writing, and then uh, and then see what happens. You know, I really I think it's all an adventure. I look at it like that. And if, if I don't wake up tomorrow by any strange quote, because I did the gig where Cognito uh, came to his full stop last week, when I was doing the gig, Andrew Bird, who runs it, rang me up and said to me, do me a favour. He said, listen, I said, what are the rules? He said, well, the usual, right? And the usual rules for me are close the gig and not the venue, right? <laughs> and I said, he said, try not to die in both senses of the world. But it was really uh, nice that they've got this tribute to him on the stage on mm. the the hammer and the nail, you know, which is a tribute to his, his attitude, which I really quite like. And mm. I remember saying to the audience last week, were you guys here when he, when he passed on? And they, but there's a huge number of people in that audience that put their hands up. I said, do you know what? This is for him. And I really liked performing the flavour I've got. Mm. And I really tired them out. And I thought, do you know what? I might not be alive tomorrow morning. It's, it's great being a comic. It's one of the best things you can ever do. Mm. It's one of you really good. I like it. Well, Sean Mio, thanks for coming to the show, man. Thanks, is. buddy. Right, All thank good. You very thank much. Thank you very much.
0: And that was episode 83 with Sean Meo. I hope you enjoyed that one, guys. If you did, share it, tell your friends, leave us a nice honest review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We are available on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Go there, comment, subscribe, tell all your friends about it. Or go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast and you can donate as much or as little as you feel this podcast is worth. But if you can't donate, that's all right. Just share your favorite episode. All my thanks for all of those socials are at Winter Dominus. Or if you go to like YouTube, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast. So that's it for episode 83. Next month, for the end of March, we've got a comedian I started with in Ireland. It is the excellent Kieran Lawless. You're in for a treat with that one. Until next month, I hope you keep well. Hope the lockdown lifts really soon, and we can all just get on with our lives. So, episode eighty-four is with Kieran Lawless at the end of March. Speak to you then.